Good morning. This morning's reading is from Zephaniah, and it's the whole of chapter one. Uh, when I conclude the chapter, I will say, thanks be to God, and if you would mind saying, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you say, thanks be to God. Zephaniah chapter one. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both man and beast. I will sweep away the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. When I destroy all mankind on the face of the earth, declares the Lord, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will destroy every remnant of Baal worship in this place, the very names of the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord and who also swear by Moloch, those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him, be silent before the Sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all those clad in foreign clothes. On that day, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold, who fill the temple of their gods with violence and deceit. On that day, declares the Lord, I will go up from the fish gate, wailing from the new quarter, and a loud crash from the hills. Wail, you who live in the market district. All your merchants will be wiped out. All who trade with silver will be destroyed. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. Their wealth will be plundered, their houses demolished. Though they build houses, they will not live in them. Though they plant vineyards, they will not drink the wine. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. The cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. That day will be a day of wrath a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. I will bring such distress on all people that they will grope about like those who are blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who live on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Please keep your Bible open to Zephaniah. Um, if you didn't find it, um, which is not 
unexpected. It's probably not a part of the Bible that we come to very often. It's on page 1345 of the, the church Bibles that are in the seats there with you. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm the minister at Gympie Presbyterian Church. And so uh, uh, Phil is up at Gympie today. I'm down here. Uh, can I say thank you to you? Uh, well, I'm kind of saying thank you to Phil, but you guys are part of that whole process. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Phil sent me an email to offer um, this. Uh, I've got a, a particular responsibility for the assembly, which is the, the statewide meeting of our denomination coming up in a few weeks. And he uh, said, oh, how are you coping with all the admin work? And how about we do this so that... Um, we both get a little bit more time uh, in these weeks. Uh, so I preached through Zephaniah a couple of weeks, a couple of couple of weeks ago in Gympie, and so uh, that's why we're here today. So thank you very much for that. Uh, in a small way, as you always are, you're serving the wider body of God's people uh, in our denomination uh, through allowing me to be here today. Uh, please be praying for those meetings uh, there on uh, a couple of weeks' time, 15th to 17th of June. So we've. Phil looks even more bedraggled than usual. You'll know that's because he's suffered through three very long days of meetings. Uh, also, uh, this week we've got our presbytery meeting, so be praying for, for that. Uh, that's going to be up at Gympie as well. So, hopefully you found Zephaniah. Um, I'm going to be, we're going to be looking at all three chapters of Zephaniah. So, um, have a Bible open. We're going to be referring to bits and pieces. It's not normally how I preach. I don't normally try and do a whole book of the Bible in one hit. Uh, but Zephaniah being three chapters, that's what we're doing today. Uh, and there's also an outline in your bulletin, I think on the back page of the bulletin. If you're like me, I need to write notes, uh, otherwise my brain switches off, so that's why that's there, and particularly when we're jumping around a fair bit, there might be a bit more that you go, what on earth does that mean? And something to reflect on later or chat about over morning tea. How about we pray? Father God, in the past, you spoke in different ways at different times through your prophets, in these last days, you've spoken to us in your Son, our Lord Jesus. By the same Spirit who spoke through the prophets, speak to us today that we might hear your voice and know and love you. Amen. Just after Christmas this year, I lost my wallet. Uh, it was a frustrating experience for a couple of days. I looked everywhere for the wallet. I turned the house upside down. Uh, at this time, my wife and children, they were away. They were up at Mount Tambourine for the CMS Summer School. I think that's what had happened. And um, so the good-looking one in the family wasn't there. So I, I spent these days turning everything upside down. I went back to our church's ministry centre because I'd been there for a barbecue. I went to the shop where I'd last used my wallet. I scoured the car park. I asked the staff whether it had been handed in. I looked, I looked. I couldn't find it. And so I went through that slightly costly and time-consuming process of replacing all of my cards. Uh, the bank cards, driver's licence, blue card, Medicare card, everything. In my thoroughness, I even replaced cards that weren't in my wallet to start with. And, and a few weeks later, I saw a message from the shop it had been found. In fact, it had been found on the day that I'd reported it lost. I just hadn't seen the notification on my phone. And going back to that shop, picking up my wallet, it felt pretty good. Uh, nothing had been taken. What was lost was now found. And I also felt quite vindicated because 
that was actually where I thought I'd lost it. I was, I was pretty sure I'd lost it at the shop. And so in a strange way, I'm not quite as absent-minded as it seems. Jesus told some pretty well-known stories about lost things being found. A lost coin, a lost sheep, lost people. They're fairly well-known parables or stories and you probably know them. What you may not know is that these stories resound with echoes of a prophetic message from more than 600 years prior to Jesus. Sometimes we think that when we get to the New Testament of the Bible, that's where we find God who is warm and kind, the God of love. And quite a few of us, we go, I just love reading the New Testament. But the Old Testament, well, in the Old Testament, God's angry and prickly. I'm not such a big fan of that. What we're going to see today in Zephaniah is that the same thing Jesus teaches about God in the New Testament, in those stories of the lost and found, We learn the same thing about God. God is the same as he speaks through the prophet Zephaniah. Now, as I said before, Zephaniah is probably not a part of the Bible we're familiar with. There is one verse in Zephaniah you sometimes see on coffee cups and Instagram posts, and we're going to get to that one verse. It is an important verse, but other than that one sentence, it's a part of the Bible you've probably uh, never even come across before. You probably skipped over it very quickly. In fact, probably all of those last 12 minor prophets, you know, you know Jonah, and that's probably about it. So we're looking at some part of the Bible that was not all that well known today. So we're going to need a bit of context to understand where Zephaniah fits in the big story. So Zephaniah is a prophet from about 600 years before Jesus, a prophet who spoke to God's people, Judah. So really quick history of God's people. So David, the shepherd boy who killed Goliath and wrote many Psalms, David was king of Israel about a thousand years before Jesus. I find David a really easy and a really important kind of time marker in the Bible, a thousand years before Jesus, give or take. His son Solomon became king after him. After Solomon died things went downhill really fast. There was a civil war. Uh, The nation was split in two. The northern kingdom was known as Israel. The southern kingdom was known as Judah. In 722 BC, Israel, the northern kingdom, was conquered by Assyria. So that's that left-hand top arrow. All of that happened before Zephaniah was even born. Zephaniah was born about a generation or two after Israel was wiped out. So the Assyrians come in, they wipe out the northern kingdom. It doesn't exist after that. Uh, He was probably born when Manasseh was king of Judah. From God's perspective, Manasseh is the worst king of Judah. Manasseh was evil. He worshipped idols, he was violent. And the people of Judah, they went right along with him. Manasseh's only son, Ammon, was king after him. The only good thing about Ammon, well, he was only king for two years. After Ammon, Josiah becomes king. He was only eight years old when he took the throne. And compared to Manasseh, actually compared to any king, Josiah stands out. Have a listen. This is how Manasseh, sorry, that's Josiah there. This is how Josiah's reign is summarised. Neither before or after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul 
and with all his strength. Do those words ring a bell? He, in accordance with all the law of Moses. Josiah is the shining star in, in Judah's history. And Josiah is king when God speaks to Zephaniah. So have a look, the beginning of Zephaniah, have you got it there in your Bible in front of you? Zephaniah 1 verse 1. So verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, don't worry about all those names, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. So that's the story so far the context for what the Lord God says through Zephaniah. Now, Zephaniah's message is heavy. We're only going to look at the highlights today, but it's, it's heavy, pretty much unrelenting for two chapters. His message, God is coming. God is coming in sweeping judgment. So have a look at verse 2. So Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 2. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I'll sweep away both man and beast. I'll sweep away the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. Uh, this sweeping, it's not Mari Kondo's tidying up. This isn't a picture of God taking out each item in his closet and holding it close and seeing whether it sparks joy. No, he's opening all the doors, all the windows, getting out the industrial broom. No, it's not a broom. He's getting out a leaf blower and blasting everything. This is serious judgment. And I've just made light of it, but can you feel the weight sweeping away? The world is destroyed in God's judgment. But the question that comes to my mind, maybe you might say, well, hang on, God. This is verse 2. You've only just started speaking. What on earth have people done that deserves this kind of response? Well, through Zephaniah, God tells us. He tells us in two parts. First, he tells us about the sin of God's people. And second, the sin of the whole world. So what have God's people, what have Judah done to deserve being swept away? They've been worshipping pretend gods, worshipping idols. So look at verse 4. It says they've been worshipping Baal. In verse 5, bowing down to the stars and the planets. And you go, well, that's pretty stupid to treat things up in the sky as if they're gods. They're just balls of burning gas. But then again, people still read astrology charts today. Jump down to verses 8 and 9. God says he'll punish the king and the political rulers because they wear foreign clothes. Now, this is not about fashion. The foreign clothes are special clothes, religious clothes, the clothes you wear when you worship foreign pretend gods. So, God's chosen people are worshipping pretend gods and this leads them, verse 12, to be complacent towards the true and living God. So, have a look at verse 12. At that time, I, this is God speaking, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. So, so let's press pause for a moment. What's so bad about this? What's so bad about complacency to, toward the true and living God? Complacency towards God is a lie. It's believing the lie that God doesn't care, that God isn't holy and righteous, that he isn't love. 
And so it's believing God won't punish sin and evil. Complacency is the lie of us not caring, not recognising all God has done and given to us in both creation and salvation. And don't think that just because we're here, gathered as church, that complacency is in our heart too, isn't it? We might show up at church, but we don't expect God to act. We don't expect him either to act to answer our prayers or also to act to bring judgment and justice. We live most of our days as if there is no God, just this life. And that can be shown, as it was in Judah, by love of money. Trusting, relying on wealth rather than God. So have a look at verse 18. Verse 18. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who live on the earth. Neither silver nor gold will save. We need to hear this warning, don't we? Most of us on a historical and global scale, we are wealthy. In fact, we're wealthy even compared to most Aussies. And one of our deep temptations, I think this is a deep temptation for most Christians in Australia, is to believe money will save us. We think, I know I think, money will buy me out of trouble. Like people in Zephaniah's day, we find our safety and security not in the living God, but in money. If you're hungry, oh, I can buy food. If you're sick, oh, I can buy doctors and medicine. Our security isn't in God, but in money. Do you reckon that's true for you? A way to test this, a way to test where our security, our safety really lies how nervous do you get as you hear about super funds going under? How worried are you each time there's a reserve bank meeting and interest rates go up? Or the government raises taxes or talks about removing negative gearing? If that gets you overly worried, if it keeps you up at night, maybe it's because that's where your security is found. Judah in Zephaniah's day, that's what they were like. Greedy, idol worshippers who didn't care for the true and living God. So that's Zephaniah chapter 1. In in chapter 2, the camera moves away from Judah and it pans over the rest of the world, over the nations. Uh, He goes through the nations at each point of the compass, north, south, east, west... And the point being made in chapter 2 is that God is looking over the whole world. The whole world will face sweeping judgment. Why? We're not going to read all of chapter 2, but jump down to verse 10. So Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 10, where we see the world's sin is arrogance and pride. The nations mocked God's people when they faced God's judgment. Verse 10, this is what they will get in return for their pride, for insulting and mocking the people of the Lord Almighty for their pride, for insulting and mocking. So the world looked on, the nations of the world looked on as Israel, as the northern kingdom, was destroyed by Assyria. And they'll do the same thing about 50 years later, as the time after Zephaniah, because the southern kingdom, kingdom, it gets destroyed by Babylon. 
And the nations sit back and they laugh. Look, Israel, Judah, where's your God now? What kind of God have you got if he can't even protect you from the Assyrians and the Babylonians? But Zephaniah's warning is, God's warning is, the same fate awaits all the nations. Part of the reason the nations mock is they think they're stronger. They think they're safe and more powerful than God's judgment. So have a look at verse 15. This is the city of revelry that lived in safety. She said to herself, I am the one and there is none besides me. What a ruin she has become, a lair for wild beasts. All who pass by her scoff and shake their fists. This is serious and final. In the first two and a half chapters of Zephaniah, the message is clear and solemn. Judgment is coming and no one is willing to hear the warning. No one wants to hear. So have a listen to chapter 3, verse 6. A little bit further on, verse 6, God says, I have destroyed nations. Their strongholds, their, their fortresses are demolished. I have left their streets deserted with no one passing through. Their cities are laid waste. They are deserted and empty. Of Jerusalem, I thought, surely you will fear me and accept correction. Then her place of refuge would not be destroyed, nor all of my punishments come upon her. But they were still eager to act corruptly in all they did. Zephaniah's message is serious and somber because no one wants to listen. No one listens to his warning, not even God's people. They won't even listen. And this is what happened in history. Zephaniah was right because he was a prophet of God. Yes, things were better in the time of Josiah when when Zephaniah first spoke. But when he died and his son Jehoahaz became king, he followed in the footsteps of his grandfathers, not his father, And the nation was all too willing to oblige. And and God's judgment came in the exile. They were swept away, taken away to Babylon. Now that's a bit of a lightning tour of Zephaniah. You might want to read it during the week to get some of the details. My guess is though, it's shocking. You know, in one level it's shocking. We don't like hearing God's judgment. On the other level, we're not that surprised. I mean, this is the Old Testament. It's what we expect. It's what we expect to hear when we open the Old Testament, God's anger at sin. What may surprise us, however, is the end of Zephaniah, the grace and hope that is spoken at the end. That even though people, both his chosen people, Judah, as well as the people of the whole world, even though people don't listen to God, even though we are happy in our complacency, our apathy towards God, We're happy worshipping, pretend gods. We're happy with our security and money and wealth. And so when God warns of judgment, nothing changes. That's fair enough. But what's amazing is the end of Zephaniah. God's sweeping judgment is not his last word. Now, there's actually been hints of this earlier in Zephaniah, in the first two chapters. It's actually not all serious judgment. There there are hints of hope. Have a look, for example, the start of chapter 2. Start of chapter 2, God calls his people to seek him, to seek him before it's too late. So chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Gather together, gather yourselves together, you shameful nation, before the decree takes effect and that day passes like windblown chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you, seek the Lord 
All you humble of the land, you who do what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. The day of the Lord, the day of his wrath, the day of his anger, it's the day of sweeping judgment. That's the day it's looking at. But God calls his people, he urges them to seek him before that day, to return to him, to humble themselves before him, and then maybe, just maybe, they'll not face his judgment. Uh, The word perhaps there in verse 3, it's not a word that removes assurance. We're going to see in chapter 3, that God loves to forgive. The word in verse 3, though, perhaps, perhaps you'll be sheltered. It's a reminder of how serious sin is. It's a statement of the bigness of sin and judgment. The word perhaps emphasises that everything depends on God's mercy. Uh, Isn't this amazing? There's nothing in these verses, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, there's nothing about tipping the scales of God's judgment. God doesn't say, hey, you guys just need to do some extreme acts of goodness to do so many good things that they start outweighing all the bad things you've done the rest of your life. No, he just says, come to me, seek me, and depend on my mercy. But why? Why is just merely seeking God enough? Why is seeking God enough to find shelter from his sweeping judgment? Well, this is where we get to chapter 3. Chapter 3 explains, God loves to save. He, He delights in saving people, bringing them into his family. So have a look at verse 17, Zephaniah 3, 17. The Lord is with, sorry, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves He will take great delight in you, in his love. He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. This is the verse, isn't it? This is the verse you may have heard from Zephaniah, the one that's on the coffee cups and the Instagram posts. The problem is, if you just grab Zephaniah 3.17 and whack it on a coffee cup out of context, the way it's often presented is it says something like, You are so amazing! You are so incredible. God is is besotted over you. You make God sing. The problem with reading it that way is it's just so thin and and us-centred. But read in the context of Zephaniah, God's delight in saving sin, it's actually even better. It's better than the coffee cup version, isn't it? Because he saves us not because we're worth it, but because he is. He delights in saving, in rescuing sinners and making us his very own. As you read that verse, do you hear the echoes of Jesus' story of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the the lost sons? Uh, In these stories, the amazing conclusion is, in the same way I tell you, Jesus tells you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I was pretty happy the day my wallet was found, but God rejoices when a sinner, someone who has rejected him, someone who's loved false gods, who found security in money and wealth and not in God, being complacent and apathetic toward God, God rejoices over people like us. Zephaniah 3.17, it's an amazing promise, it's a precious verse 
And it is worthy of a coffee cup because of what it says about God. What's amazing is God saves sinners. That because through faith believers are united to Christ, we are clothed with Christ, God sings over his people. God sings over his people. But the problem is, how do we get here? How do we get to verse 17 and seeking God and God singing over sinners? Because if, if we've heard, learned anything from Zephaniah, our hearts are hard. We heard that in chapter 3, verse 7, remember? God warned his people, warned Jerusalem of judgment. Even his people don't want to listen. They've got the temple, they've got the priests, they've got the prophets speaking to them, but they don't care. Verse 7, instead of taking the warning to heart, verse 7, they were still eager to act corruptly in all they did. Uh, Blocked their ears, and we're the same, aren't they? We we block our ears. We don't want to hear God's warning, and, and all of humanity is like this. So how can God save? How do complacent hearts become hearts that seek God and love God? How do deaf ears become ears that are open to God's word? Well, have a look, chapter 3, verse 9, Zephaniah 3, verse 9. Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. Who is it, verse 9, who is it that's able to purify lips? Who does it? I, I, the Lord God. It's only through God's spirit changing our hearts, purifying our lips, only then do we want to seek God and find refuge in him. Our natural response to God's love and to God's warning of judgment, our natural response is to put our fingers in our ears, to run away from the God God who loves us, from the God and his ways. Our only hope is God's love, that in love he will purify the lips of his people, that he will cause us to call on his name. This is how big God's love and grace is. Zephaniah 3, 17 is is precious. Verse 9 is precious as well, isn't it? It's precious because that is where we show up in this this part of the Bible. Chapter 3, verse 9, did you see that? God doesn't only promise to purify the lips of the people of, of Judah or of Israel, but did you see it? I will purify the lips of the peoples, plural. God calls people from all over the world and purifies the lips of peoples, Jew and Gentile, in the one people of God, which is why we rejoice in God's salvation. So have a look at verse 14, Zephaniah 3, 14. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart. Daughter Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. I take it that verse 14 is not just about ethnic Israel, but for all people who've been saved, all the peoples of verse 9 who have got purified lips. Is this true for you? Do you rejoice? Are you glad to know God's salvation? One of the things Christians do is we sing. We are a singing people because we've got lots to be thankful for. 
Now, of course, our emotions can be impacted by various things, but in normal circumstances, if you're a Christian, if you're trusting in Jesus, the normal response is joy and singing. To know that the punishment we deserve, God's sweeping judgment, has been taken away. This is worth singing about. It's been great today to hear our voices raised in praise of what God has done. In Christ alone, our hope is found. On that cross, God's judgment and his delight in saving meet. As, as on the, the cross, the wrath of God is satisfied, as Jesus becomes sin and takes onto himself, into himself, the sweeping judgment of God. The judgment we sinners deserve, and Jesus does it, God the Son willingly goes to the cross to face his own wrath at sin. And Jesus does this out of love because God, Father, Son and Spirit delight in saving sinners. And if this doesn't make you want to sing, you should ask the question, am I complacent? Have I sought God, looked to him for forgiveness and righteousness? And if you are trusting in Jesus, the incredible truth of Zephaniah is even though we don't deserve it, God rejoices over you. And so we rejoice in God in the great news that his sweeping judgment has been turned away. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you because you are the God who delights in saving sinners. All heaven rejoices when you find one who has been lost. As we hear of your ancient people's sin, we confess we too have sinned against you. We deserve your sweeping judgment, which is why we're so thankful for Jesus, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And we praise you for your Holy Spirit through whom you purify our lips, so we want to sing your praises. Please be tuning our hearts to sing your praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.